Our scripture reading this morning includes several passages. One that we will be focusing in on is in Ephesians chapter 4. You can follow along on your phone, on a tablet, in a book, or just listen as I read them aloud. I invite you to join with me by standing either in your heart or physically before God as we hear these words from the book that we love. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God's very word. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. The family table is a place where you can feel like you all belong. I remember growing up, us kids had a separate table to sit at when there was a large family gathering. You might remember that, but we all wanted to be at the big table, right? We wanted to be there and be a part of all that's going on. Imagine planning a big extended meal beyond your immediate family. The time comes close for the guests to arrive. You set the table, you put out your best china, you put out place cards so people know exactly where to sit, and you want to let them know that you have been anticipating and planning for their arrival, that they are special to you. Part of the big idea of this is that as followers of Jesus, this kind of welcome is written into our DNA. We delight in hospitality because that is how God has welcomed us. He has invited us to his big fat table and others as well. Well, you invite your immediate family, you might invite your extended family, and you invite others to come and be a part of the big fat table as well. When we do that, as wonderful as it is, it is riddled with risks. People can be messy. They might not wipe their shoes when they walk through the threshold of the door. They might not sit where you have designated them to sit. They might not like what you have prepared. They might spill their drink. Their kids might slurp their soup and spill it on the table. You might get stains and marks on your carpet. They might use their sleeve as a napkin. And they might even, to express their thankfulness, let out a great big belch at the end of the meal. And after the meal, the table is a mess. But to allow people to feel that they have received this huge, warm welcome, that they belong, that is what is most important. The mess is not. 
and at times when there are expectations to have a nice, clean, orderly welcome, whose expectation is that for? That their expectation or ours? In a study a few years ago, a researcher by the name of Eric Carter did a study among families, families that had a family member with a disability, and that family didn't go to church. He asked them this question, amongst others, but he asked them, why don't you attend a church? What do you need in order to get plugged into a faith community? The response that he got back was, they wanted to be invited. They wanted, as a family, to be known, to be accepted, to be supported, to be befriended, to be needed, to be loved. They wanted all these things that we all want. And they wished that they would encounter this. But many of them did not. And many of them had the fear of trying to explore this again because most normal people see a family who has someone in their family with a disability as potentially messy. But these qualities of what we strive for is the heart of the body of Christ. We need all parts. There are many pieces to the puzzle that make up the church. And we don't want any of those pieces to be missing. And so for the next several Sundays, outside of our fourth Sunday, we'll be exploring what it means to fulfill this biblical concept of genuine belonging. And especially in coming out of the pandemic, where certain patterns have been instilled in the church and in followers. How do we meet the need, that need that God has placed within people when they crave for belonging? So as I go through my four-point outline, you're probably going to say, this is all familiar territory to me, and it probably is. I hope I spice it up with a few things in there that will catch your attention, but also to set the stage for where we are going in the future. So first of all, God himself exists in community. Our human desire for belonging and the mandate that has been given to us by God to welcome people is grounded in who God is. As God reveals himself in many places, like in Ephesians 4, we know that God has existed before time in community. There are three people in the Godhead, Father, Spirit, Son, and yet they contain one solitary nature. And this has existed from eternity past and will exist into eternity future. It's an amazing mystery that we cannot fully get our minds around. But God has existed forever in love. The Father delights in showing off the Son. The Son delights in showing off the Spirit. And the Spirit delights in revealing who the Son is and revealing 
who the Father is. And this community of love and service has existed from before time. God exists, has existed in community. Secondly, God brings us into his community. Because God is from eternity past and is present now, God desires for us to be brought into his community. Father, Spirit, Son. For the Bible is about God's relentless pursuit of us, though we have run from him. God is constantly trying to remind us, convince us, that he longs to give to us his spirit and grace. Remember that first fourth Sunday we had in the podcast we listened to about how to read the Bible? There was, there was a story they told in there about uh, a, a picture of humanity and God's chasing us that is like a shop teacher has prepared their student for all these wonderful things so that they could be fully equipped to pass the final and when the final came the student intentionally failed and ruined it and that's the story of humanity we have constantly thumbed our nose at god we have purposely failed the test though god is relentless in his pursuit of us. And from the very beginning, God has desired still to bring us, his people, into his community. He wants to dwell with us and be right in our very center. There's a verse from Exodus that goes like this. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. That word sanctuary, we might as tabernacle. God wanted the Old Testament people to build him a tent, God's tent. And wherever God's people went, especially in the wilderness, they were to pitch God's tent right in the middle of them. In fact, when they were in the wilderness, three tribes to his north, three tribes to his south, three tribes to his east, three tribes to the west. God says, I want to pitch my tent right in the middle of you. I want you to be brought into my community. So that's what they did. Well then, thirdly, with the coming of Jesus, Jesus longs to be with us. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's desire to be with us. He wanted to be with us so much so that Every Christmas, when it rolls around, we celebrate that God sent his son to take on human flesh and bone to pitch his tent to be with us in human form. We read in John chapter 1, verse 14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelling among us literally means tabernacle. He came to take on a tabernacle called human flesh, bone, and blood. 
just like what God instructed Moses to do. Now, Jesus became that tabernacle. He did that so that we might be able to hear him and know him and follow him. He came to be where we live. As Peterson writes in the message, he moved into the neighborhood. He wants to have us over for dinner. He invites us to be in his forever family. For Christianity is the only faith that says there is a God out there who is driven by love. Other faiths are driven by human achievement, human accomplishment, human merit, human credit, but not Christianity. Our faith declares that God has come to meet us. He is the prime mover, the primary function of it all. And he has called us to come into his community. We see that by his coming to earth. We also see this in Jesus going to the cross. For the cross is the door for this relationship with God. We read Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel begins with our unacceptability to come to the table. We spiritually wipe our mouths not with a napkin but with a sleeve. We spiritually make a mess at the table. We don't wipe our feet. We come and arrive and act in one big mess. We are unworthy to come to the table on our own. Our sin has stained us from God's embrace. We can't get rid, cleaned up on our own. In order to get rid of this mess, God has to do something. So for our sake, Father God, may Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. It's by faith that we come to the cross and the empty tomb. We acknowledge we have no right to be accepted by him on our own merits. He makes us acceptable to come to the cross. Salvation is not based on heritage. It is not based on how much one knows on the Bible. It is not attained by intellectual achievement. It is not attained by good works or talent. He saves those who cast themselves on Jesus. Remember part of the story of Good Friday? Jesus is on the cross, and to his left, to his right, criminals. And the one said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you think he understood doctrinal issues like justification by faith? Do you think he understood the theological implications about atonement? and the sacrificial lamb. And yet, that day, he was with him in paradise. Nothing that he did, nothing that he understood, except receiving the grace and the welcome of Jesus. He has done everything for us to come to his table. 
And so, fourthly, God makes us a community of his family. And in this, God moves us to embrace each other. Through Jesus Christ, he has transformed us into a community, a community that God knows, and a community that comes with open arms. We read about this community as it was first formed in the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one acclaimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work amongst them all, that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. The early church knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, that new life had come, and they knew that they belonged to God. And because they belonged to God, they belonged to his community. God has given us a deep relationship with him so that we can have a deep relationship with others, with nothing standing in the way. Part of the challenge of the pandemic was not only us drifting apart by necessity, but drifting spiritually. Drifting spiritually naturally happens unless we pay close attention to it. We missed out on the gathering that we enjoyed of connecting with each other. And it's kept some people apart because it's been easy for a variety of reasons not to gather. And it reminds us that we need to be diligent to break any pattern of a spiritual drift. Christian community is about being present with each other so we can recognize each other for who they are and for the love that we have for them. When one opens the table for guests and you leave a place open, one doesn't dictate how that person will act once they come to the table. We are responsible for, for providing a very genuine, warm welcome. It's God's job to change the heart. Our job is to prepare a place including a place for the most vulnerable of our society. See, this is what makes Jesus so different than all other teachers. His power to create this kind of community. If Picasso gathered a band of disciples together, would they all turn into little Picassos? No. They'd probably pass Mrs. Van Heitzma's art class, but they wouldn't become little Picassos. If Einstein gathered a band of disciples together, would they all turn into little Einsteins? No. But they'd probably pass calculus. 
if Mozart gathered a band of disciples together, would they all turn into little Mozarts? No, but they'd probably learn about composing music. When Jesus gathers a band of disciples together, would they turn into a group of little Jesuses? Yes. And that's a big difference. In fact, the name Christian literally means little Christs. He has the presence and the power to transform all of us into who he is. Human though we be, to transform us to be like him. Isn't that wild? And though I am deeply flawed, I can't deny the changeable difference he has made in me because I am part of his family. And if we allow him to change us individually and as community, he will give us more of himself that we can share, more to show others what he and his people are like. So as God makes us a community, he moves us to embrace each other. Now I want to take it another step. God moves us to embrace the vulnerable. Our denominational ministry that deals with disability has come out with this stat that one in every five households has someone with a disability. Think about that in terms of where you live or used to live. And most of those households that have someone in them with a disability don't go to a faith community. No place has been prepared for them. Imagine with me coming to church, walking through the door, being met by a greeter, and being told, there's no place for you here. Of course, they wouldn't say that verbally, but what if you could see it? What if you could feel it? What if you could hear the echoes in the building? What would that feel like? And how would that impact your view of God? We know that this happens and continues to happen with people of color, which is why we fight against the evil of racism. But it can also happen with people who have a disability. We haven't taken enough time to make sure we have a proper place set at the table, that there has been access available for them. And we don't maybe have a place to have them feel that they're an important part of the link of the church. And this is a difficulty that communities of faith have. And because these families that have someone with a disability might be seen as someone who requires some extra care. 
they might not feel as welcomed or as embraced. Earlier, I made reference to a professor by the name of Dr. Eric Carter. Many of you picked up a sheet that he has put together in terms of the steps or the dimensions of belonging. And he lists 10 of them. It is more than simply providing a welcome for someone to feel they genuinely belong. But as you read through the 10, you can see it involves effort and movement on behalf of the faith community. There's a difference between just welcoming and being a full part of the body of Christ. And all this, I believe, is in step with our mission at Discovery Church to connect deeply, to follow intentionally, and to serve justly. And I believe that spending some time talking about how we can continue to grow in ministering and providing a seat at the table for those with a disability, I believe it falls mostly on that third aspect about serving justly. Helping the vulnerable of our, of our society sense in their bones that this is their place. As children grow up, how children are loved influences their capacity to believe in God, to have trust, and to have faith. If children are deeply, unconditionally loved, they will fear less, they will be more open to trust, and their hearts more receptive to receive in God. If children are significantly hurt or unloved, it hinders this. It hinders their spiritual capacity for development and more. And while children who are growing up and they have a disability, almost all the time they receive this unconditional deep love from their immediate family, like all children, there needs to be expanding circles of community and love and care. And on the whole, on the whole, children who have disabilities get less of this. It really is a justice issue to reach care, to love, the vulnerable. Discovery's leaders confess, as previous leaders have, that every person is made in the image of God. All people are important parts of the body of Christ with their gifts and their challenges. 
we not only want to welcome all who come, to welcome those who have a disability. See, if we just welcome, we're that group on the upper right-hand corner, a group that might be different from us, we want to have different, or we might be the upper left-hand corner, uh, around and close, but not in. We want to be committed to be people who value every person who comes. The vulnerable. Not simply to serve them, but to ultimately serve together. Using each person's gifts, discovering how to support each person's struggle, and not to put anyone on the side. And I think we're united in that goal. And I believe that this is why our fourth Sunday teaching on the Holy Spirit is important. Because he is the key to help us continue to grow in this area. We've done a fine job but we need to continue to grow, to reflect, and to explore. And how do we do that? It is through the Holy Spirit. It is through the Spirit's work and shape of us that we have become the church that we are. And it is through the Spirit's work and shaping of us that we continue to grow. In six weeks, we'll have Pentecost and we'll celebrate the Spirit of God coming to his people as recorded in Acts chapter 2. On that Sunday, I'm not really sure what the big idea will be yet. So, to make sure that I can say something, I'm going to say something now. On that day, I'm not going to lay out the case of why I believe this, but on that day, I believe that the disciples were at the temple courts when the Spirit descended in Acts 2. We often think that they're in this room hiding away. I believe, based on the teaching that I've received in my study, they were at the temple courts. We know that at the temple courts, every day there was a public reading of Scripture. Every day there was reading. That lasted 20 to 40 minutes. And these days were marked out three years in advance. About every three years, the rotation began again. We know what was read on that day when the Spirit descended as it was being read at the temple. It included Exodus 19 and 20 which is God giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. That happened, we know, 50 days after the first Passover. What happened 50 days after Jesus' Passover? Pentecost. We also know that on that day, 
what was read in the temple courts in the public reading of scripture were the first chapters of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was read, and as it was read, it described the sights and the sounds of God's presence. When God is present in his fullness, it looks and sounds like this, identical to the sights and the sounds that we read in Acts chapter 2, to let the people know this is God's presence. There was something else that was read. The book of Ruth. Why did God, I believe, why did God have it planned that at the first day of Pentecost, the book of Ruth would be read? So I'm just going to give you the bullet of what I believe. It's a book about Ruth's faithfulness and Boaz's care for the vulnerable. I believe that God was telling his people that as the Spirit comes, fills, and leads, one of the important things that the Spirit will do will lead his people to care for the vulnerable, for the hurting, for those that the rest of society casts aside. The Spirit is what empowers his people to be different because he has transformed us. So this is the adventure that we are on for the next few months. How we can keep learning to set the table well, not just for our guests, but for those that would be considered vulnerable in our society. And as a faith community, how we can live out more God's call for us to serve justly and how we can do that together. In preparing for this uh, talk and for this series, uh, going through resources from our denomination and from uh, the Reformed Church of America, I found that in the material, uh, it seems to keep coming back to these three questions. And they were laid out, but I think these are good questions. And I hope that I'm able to keep on presenting these three questions. Who is missing from our fellowship? Why are they missing from our fellowship? And what are we prepared to do about that? I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, how we bless you for your great love for us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for sending people into our lives to cause us to pause and stop and to hear and to see in them your love exemplified. Thank you for opening up our hearts so that we could receive your love through faith. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, Jesus, that makes new life possible. Thank you that you loved us first and loved us in a powerful way, and we want our hearts to be open to you, Holy Spirit, 
for you to move and to shape us. And we pray, Father God, for the hurting of our community and the hurting of our church. We pray for those in our community who feel uncertain about their housing or about their personal care. And we pray, Father God, that you will provide for this need, that you will send people into their lives and into their network, and that you would use your church as well. We pray for Pam, that you would bring strength to her. We pray that you will let your presence be known to her in a powerful way in rehab, and that you would provide the resources necessary for her ongoing life care. We pray for Calvin Quinlan, and we pray for his upcoming doctor's appointment. We pray that the concerns that they have about his heart would be healed so that there would not have to be surgery next month. We pray, Lord, that you will heal this young, vulnerable child of yours. We join with Hugh in praying for his father, for the family. We pray, Lord, for strength and faith and courage for them all. We join with Jen in praying for her father. We thank you that the injury he had was not severe. He recovered quickly. And yet we pray that you give to him continued patience as his procedure was postponed until next month. Give to him strength, courage, patience. We pray that your comfort would rest upon him. We pray for those who are in special need of your care. We pray for Gail and Gil and Joe and David, that you will provide for the needs they have. We pray for families that are struggling, struggling on levels of finances, with parenting, with caring for aging parents, with just brokenness. We join with families that are praying for wisdom and strength. We pray that you will draw close to them and they can experience your spirit's power and love and kindness. We pray for those who are connected and in our faith community who are carrying babies. We pray for Annalise, Kylie, for their protection, for grace and comfort in their waiting time, and ultimately for safe and good deliveries when that time comes. We thank you that you invite us to join with you in the work you are doing worldwide by having missionary partners. We pray today and this week for World Renew and the work of Steve Siwoka with World Renew in South Central Africa. We pray that you will guide him as he helps farmers, as he helps businessmen, as he helps the churches. We pray, Lord, that you will provide for him as he faces many needs, often needs of difficulty that arise from the government. We pray for their safety, for their care. We pray for our neighbors here on Sun Metal Drive that you would give to them an extra blessing this week and that they might know this blessing comes from you. We thank you for your goodness and your love 
We pray that you will keep on shaping us to be a community that shows your love by setting the table well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said, 